Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Young Conductors Podcast. We are your hosts, Sean and Cole, two conductors on a mission to encourage, educate, and inspire young conductor teachers. Welcome back, everyone, for another season of Young Conductors. Um, we were so excited to have those eight episodes last season, and I, Sean and I had a great time chatting with uh, all the wonderful people and sharing all the things that we talk about in isolation, <laughs> to putting it to the masses. Um, and now we're officially back for another season, which is really exciting. Um, so we have a very special episode today. Um, we are welcoming um, the wonderful Dr. Shelley Axelson um, from Radford University, where I'm actually at right now for my graduate degree. Um, and she's the director of bands, and we are so excited to have her. So welcome, Dr. Axelson. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're hey, very Dr. excited. Yeah, for sure. So to get started, we would love um, the million dollar question for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Okay, I'm gonna put my glasses on because I have to think and it helps me. <laughs> um, so I warned my music ed students about this question, the like, tell us about yourself question because I hate this question so much. <laughs> it's a good thing, but only because it's so open-ended, which is actually the good thing about it because like in an interview, you can steer it you know, right. to where you want it to go. But uh, but I'm assuming that the audience is going to want to sort of know my my professional chronology. So that's what I'll I'll focus on. So um, I, I'll just start with college and then we can fill in other blanks if we need to. Okay. Um, so I did my undergraduate degree at the University of South Florida in Tampa and went straight to the University of Michigan to get my master's in conducting with H. Robert Reynolds. Then I went back to Florida and I taught middle school. And then I went to Richardson, Texas, where I taught junior high. And yes, they're different. Junior Middle school <laughs> and junior high are actually a little different down in the South in Florida, Texas. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go get my doctorate at Northwestern with Mallory Thompson, who I also studied with at USF and also Jerry Junkin and Mike Voda at USF, but more on that later. Um, then There's after, just so many big names. Yeah. I know. And I, I don't want to be like a name dropper. Like <laughs> all, this is all lucky, just luck, but we could, we'll, we'll hit that again. I'm sure. Um, then after Northwestern, I went and taught at Central College in Pella, Iowa uh, for, I think I was there for three years, and then the University of Indianapolis for six. Then I was at Montclair State University for a long time. I it's either 12 or 14 years, I forget. Um, and then I took a gap year. So I think we should normalize the gap year for mm -hmm. all humans and conductors, especially, <laughs> right, to take a minute. I mean, the reasons I did that were not professional. They were personal. My dad uh, has dementia. And I went home to Texas to help my mom and, um, and some other reasons, too, just to unplug. Um, so I did that for a year. And then the opportunity to come to Radford happened. Uh, it was an interim position, fall of 22. Uh, and I did that and then things went fairly well. And so I got the full-time job or the tenure track job. And so now I'm in my second year at Radford. Hey, congratulations. So you've definitely been through lots of um, age groups. Mm, yes. Yeah, right now I'm, I'm teaching middle school and it's quite a different beast than, <laughs> <laughs> than lots of yes. other things. <laughs> yes. It is very. But you're different. also teaching some elementary school too, so that's right. you got the double that's whammy. Even, yeah. That's, yeah, that's even more. <laughs> right. Um, so, Dr. Axelson, why did you decide to be a music teacher and now a conductor? Well, both. Yeah. Well, okay. So I knew that I wanted to be a teacher pretty early. Um, I really loved school. I loved learning. You right. I just loved it. So in first grade, I thought I'm going to be a first grade teacher. In second grade, I thought I'm going to be a second grade teacher. And then, you know, <laughs> as I sort of just went along, uh, and then once I found music, it was that was. I just knew that I would be a music teacher of some kind. Um, and then for the conducting, this is now like my origin story, like like in my superhero <laughs> origin story. Um, so it was like a particular day 
which is really kind of awesome to be able to point to a moment in history when you, you know, another bit of luck. Um, so it was February 2nd, 1985. And I was a sophomore in high school and I, in, in Florida and I was playing in the Hillsborough Honor Band, principal bass clarinet. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, the conductor was Jerry Junkin. And I remember that the, it was just so, I mean, everything about the whole experience was great, the rehearsals and all that. And then at the performance, I sort of lost consciousness for a moment. Like I didn't pass out, but like I, if you know about flow, mm -hmm. right, and the flow experience and that yeah. sort of thing, it was the first time that it ever happened. So I was just, I don't remember remember being outside of myself but i remember coming back into myself right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i was still playing and just tears were running down my face uh, and i just was like i don't know what's happening here but i love it <laughs> and uh, so yeah and i i like to tell a story because um I was standing in line after the concert with my mom to talk to jerry Junkin, you know to say thank you and you know I would say get a selfie, but there were no, selfies. this is 1985, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, we weren't even, hadn't imagined them yet. But anyway, so um, I, we waited in line and I got up to, for my turn and I took a breath to say thank you. And I just started bawling. Like I just couldn't even mm. control myself. It was crazy. And he was so generous, of course, right? He just gave me a hug and he was like, write it all down and send it to me. Just send me a letter, mm -hmm. which I eventually did. So um yeah. And then it was like two days of just being in my room and crying and like it scared the heck out of my parents. <laughs> I guess they were like, what is happening? Are you OK? And I'm like, yes, I'm so happy. I don't know. You know? So. Um, so, yeah. So from that moment, then it was like that. I want to do that. I want to conduct. I want to. I want to teach like that. I want to interact with that. I love in the repertoire. Right. So that was when it just became, I want to be a band director. And then mm -hmm. that's, that's where it started. Yeah. How special you were able to go work with him for some of your undergrad to have that experience with him at the honor band and then transition into learning from him. I feel like that Absolutely. is just so special in itself. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. It's why I went to USF was to study with him. And then it turned out that after my first years, when he went to UT Austin, where he still is. Mm -hmm. um, but then even that, more luck. So then the interim, we had an interim, Michael Voda, who was amazing and was my basic conducting teacher. And then the year after that, Mallory Thompson came, right? So just th in three years, like just by showing up to class, right. in three okay. years, I had three great conductors and you conducting pedagogues. So yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Yeah. So what was the moment you knew you wanted to go into a master's degree in conducting? Was that like a difficult choice for you? No, it wasn't at all. It, it would have been, I think, under dif different circumstances. But the my particular circumstances, the way it came up was, when Mallory Thompson got there, she started a summer conducting symposium and it was like two weeks long and um, oh, three wow. different and three different clinicians. She was always one, of course, but then two others over the course of two weeks. So in that time now, get ready for like the luckiest thing you've ever heard. Like she brought in everybody, like everybody in the wind conducting world came to this symposium. And she told me that if I organized it, I could conduct, like be a participant for free. So <laughs> I was like, crazy. yes, please. Right. Yes, please. So, I mean, I, you knew name them, I was able to work with them. And so, and one of those people uh, was H Robert Reynolds, who was at the university of Michigan. So he came to the symposium and I got a chance to work with him and talk to him. And that was kind of like an audition process, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, and with Mallory Thompson's encouragement, of course, she was like, you know, you should apply because, you know, you never know when someone's going to retire or like, this is H. Robert Reynolds. Like he's taught everyone else you've worked with. He taught all of us. Right. So if you have mm -hmm. an opportunity, right. So I applied and auditioned and was accepted. So I was like, I'm going. Yeah. Right. Like that you can't not go. I mean, it was the most incredible right. lucky experience ever. So 
Um, now I think it, it might be a little harder for me to make that decision. If it hadn't happened that way, um, I might have been more, spent more time weighing the pros and cons about yeah. teaching first mm -hmm. and then going and get the masters because that, I know a lot of people ask this, me this question. I get this question a lot, you know, should I teach first or should I go straight on? And you know, only you can answer the question for yourself, but I know a lot of people won't accept master's students now unless they have um, some teaching experience, which I totally understand. Um, I think that the, like for myself, some advantages were that I didn't really have a lot of bad habits and I was still in that sort of open, like spongy sort of, you know, whatever you teach me, I'm going to do kind of thing, which was nice at it, it, the foundation, especially if you're with a great conductor and teacher. Um, but, you know, the disadvantage is I had never really had my own group. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went from the University of South Florida and then the groups that I worked with were at the University of Michigan, right? Probably some of the best groups mm -hmm. I've ever been in front of, right? And yeah. so at 23, was I really ready for that. I mean, in some ways, yes, but I could see making an argument that that experience may have had a little bit more, I don't want to say depth, but you, you know what I mean? A little more resonance at the time, if I had been bringing in a, a little more experience, mm -hmm. because still now I'll be teaching in a class or driving down the road and I'll think that's what professor Reynolds went, meant, mm. or that that's what, like I'll hear me say myself say something that Mallory Thompson or Jerry Junkin or Michael Bob, any of these people said, and I'm like, oh, now I get it, right? And so maybe that those sort of moments would have happened earlier if I had taught. I don't know. I really don't know. There's no way to know. Yeah. Hmm. I wanted to I wanted to highlight something you had mentioned. Um, you said something about how the the symposium kind of. Um, acted as a, an audition process or an interview process for your future graduate degree. I think that's something important to remember that you never really know who is watching you, like with the things that you're doing. So it's important to always have that in the back of your mind for sure. That's right. And do conducting symposia. Yeah. If you can, I mean, on the band side, there's, so many there's lots and lots and lots to choose from um i don't know as much about the others for choral or orchestral but even if you aren't ready to go and like get up and conduct there's always a participant level and an, and an observation level mm -hmm. at least go to one and watch days full of conductors getting feedback Right. And that's going to change. You can and then take that right back uh, to your own groups. And then when you just before you feel you're ready, you should be a participant. Because yeah. that's it's just so incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. And I would say a lot of conductors now with people who have master's programs are not the audition isn't really just enough, right? Because there's so many applicants and if you have the opportunity to interact, right? So it's not just like you're on the podium and they're interacting with you and that's amazing, but you're at lunch and you're joking mm -hmm. around in between pieces and they get a sense of who you are and how you interact with people. It's incredibly valuable information when you're trying to choose master's students. Yeah. So it's just because you're memorable in that moment. It's like you're no longer just a video applicant. It's like, oh, I remember Sean right. and him talking about blah, 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 blah. And yeah. Right. And I, I remember, remember him. Or, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say how you remember how how they made you feel in that moment. That's right. Or when something was going wrong with the camera, I remember that guy, Sean. He was the one that jumped up. <laughs> And tried to help. Or Cole, he was the one that was always there early setting up chairs and stands. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's sort of all of those little things matter a lot because the graduate student to teach your relationship is a very important one. I mean, it's a real investment that you make in each other. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's not just your lessons. Right. It's you live there. You 
interact all the time. You, you are helping teach classes. You are helping organize things. Like you got to have a good vibe. You got to have a good feeling and rapport with each other. So the more often you interact with someone, I think that that helps your chances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's great yeah. advice. Yeah, it is. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so to transition into the topic of today's episode, which is how to practice conducting, um, I'm wondering, um, did you, do you remember any challenges that you faced as a young aspiring conductor teacher? And that could be during your undergrad, during your master's and during your doctoral degree. Um, is there anything that like pops out to your head to think about the challenges? Yeah, and it's a challenge that I still have. I think we all have is that we practice without an instrument, right? Mm -hmm. So we're practicing basically our version of scales and long tones and things like that. But it's like audiating, being able to audiate but not sing until you're in front of a group of people. Yeah. Right. So I can practice all I want, the physical movements and, and do my study and make all the decisions, but I'm not really conducting until I'm influencing sound. Mm -hmm. Right. So like conducting in, in my living room, which I do a lot because I got to practice a transition or I'm trying to practice going from 164 to 140, which is kind of a tricky one I'm working on now, like slamming on the brakes is a lot easier than just, you know, going from 164 to 120. But right. anyway, so, you know, I practice with my metronome and I'm doing all the things, but um, I don't really know if it's going to work until I'm in front of people. And mm -hmm. so it's important that you're, you make sure that your students, the, the musicians you're working with understand that when you're in rehearsal, you're practicing too. Right. So I almost I want to say I would imagine it's at least once a week, if not every rehearsal that I'll say we'll stop for something and and I'll fit whatever we'll rehearse a little bit. And then I'll say, can we go back actually a little further? Because I need to practice that transition one more time. Mm -hmm. So let's go all the way back and let's come through here, get that again so that they're aware that I'm like, I know I'm making mistakes. I'm practicing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, and I think they love that because they mm -hmm. have to practice. They get to do it in isolation with their instruments, but, but we don't, and they should understand that that's sort of the process. So I would say that's, that's the biggest challenge is uh, not being able to practice with the instrument. Right. And I feel like a lot of the young conductors that I witness in the music ed program and people giving us feedback and, and thoughts and opinions, they just really feel unsure of what to do in their isolation. Because I think a lot of people are looking for some type of feedback, you know, whether it's from their private conducting teacher, you know, there's not that person that's on the other side of them. It's like, mm, that wasn't clear. And so I wonder if you have any thoughts about any of that or any things that you share in your own experience. I mean, I know we can share um, maybe some uh, insight on what Sean and I have felt in our own conducting, but have you felt that in any of your own conducting students, anybody questioning any of that? Yeah, everybody. That's how I know they're going to be really good. <laughs> right? Yeah. The person who's like, I'm ready. I got it all figured out. Don't, don't hire that guy. Yeah. Uh, I think part of part of what you have to accept in being a conductor is that, you know, you're never done. Like, you know, just being mm -hmm. a musician, right? You're always going to be, you're always going to be working on, on things. Um, I think, though, if we're talking about movement, right? Like, what do, how do I, what do I do here? I think that question is not a physical, technical question. That's a study question. Mm -hmm. because the music will tell you how to move, but you have to find the answers, right? And I, I right. mean, I could show you a gesture, but now you're just going to look like me, which is not the worst thing in the world, which we can talk about in a minute, but um, to borrow a gesture here and there, but, you know, well, what do I do here? I don't know. What do you want here? Is always my question. And if you can articulate that, then we're, we're there. Yeah. Then, okay. So, cause usually I can tell you what almost always happens if I say, okay, well, what do you want? How do you, what do you want to sound, this to sound like? And someone will start describing it or singing it or trying, you know, communicating that. And while they're doing that, they are doing a perfect gesture. Yeah. Mm. 
And it's like, well, why don't you just do that? Right. But because it's not in the conducting book or it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like anything yeah. that looks like the music is going to be fine. Anything that looks like the music is going to be fine. Now, sometimes the art groups need us to be a little clearer, right? So the harder something is for them to play or sing, the easier, the easier it must look from us, mm -hmm. right? Like complete confidence, really clear, maybe just clicky. Just let me lay this out for you. I believe in you. And then, you know, go back once that that's over. But um but the friend, the larger, and those you'll find, right? If you're showing something super expressively and the group's not together, try being a little clear. Did it get better? Then that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. But again, it's in rehearsal that you have to figure that. How do I show it? Try something, and we'll then we'll go from there. Right. I think some it's issues that I've faced in my own to get to that point was being able to like feel comfortable in my body up mm. on the podium and i think some of the best advice that i've ever been told is it, it might sound a little weird to some folks but just bear with me but somebody told me that conducting is really just like a dance and that's kind of like changed everything the way that i look at my body and being up on the podium and i think a lot i see a lot of young conductors feel disconnected from their body like maybe their torso is not connected to their feet for example mm. right mm -hmm. and i think something that I can suggest that I've done on my own is just like stand in front of a mirror y'all and like put on some music and just like dance, <laughs> just like be weird. And like, it, it feels weird, but like moving your arms and your body and everything and just feel like super connected because I feel like in order to show what the music is suggesting is like, you have to be able to put it in your own body. And if you're not mm -hmm. dis disconnected and like willing to like look weird, in front of your musicians and like you're not going to be able to be successful so be weird yeah. and like dance is like the two things that come to mind when feeling comfortable with that so a hundred percent and i do movement in my conducting classes and i would i exactly what you just said cole exactly is what i tell young conductors all the time the only thing that i would change is i would never look in the mirror because then you're welcoming judgment because mm. you're the worst judge ever of ourselves. <laughs> right? we, we are always harder on ourselves than anyone else would ever dare to be. Right. So the same exercise, right. And, and any music, it can be Beethoven. It can be Meslanka. It can be Billy Joel. I don't care who you're listening to, but you do have to understand how your body responds to sound because I don't know what a suspension feels like to you. I know what it feels like to me, and that's the gesture that I use for it, the, mm -hmm. the baseline gesture that I would use for it. But you have to know where it feels in your body so mm -hmm. that you can we can create a gesture that represents you being you and not you being me or or somebody else. It's a, so valuable. Go out dancing. It's literally an assignment in my class. Go dancing. Go out. <laughs> Go dancing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, right. That's super That's an good. Easy right? homework assignment. Yeah, I'm getting into it. Oh yeah, everybody gets an A on that one. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on something you you had mentioned. If you don't have what you want it to sound like in your head, then you're right. It is impossible to show something that's gonna look like anything that you want it to sound like it's just you have to have a very clear idea of of what you want the sound to be um i mean i've definitely been in a rehearsal where i didn't actually know what i wanted those two measures to sound like and i just kind of go through it it's like okay i really need to go back i need to study this and make sure this is how i want it to sound so that's something that's that's pretty important just making sure you know exactly what you want on every single note of of the piece um, yeah and also one thing i wanted to say um it is very easy to to steal a gesture from someone else but that doesn't work all the time like i could see something that dudamel does and it's like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do that and then i do it and it looks so dumb because it's not, <laughs> it's not authentic and it's not what I would do. So um, 
with that, we we have a, another question. How how does a young conductor work on looking like themselves versus just another conductor that they see? I think it's important to for people to understand, for young conductors to understand, number one, what you just said, Sean, about being in a rehearsal and thinking, uh, I don't really know what I want. That's mm -hmm. okay. That's okay. Like give yourself a little grace, right? Because you're learning. So maybe you think you decided and then you hear it and you're like, wait, that's not what I thought it would be. And I'm not really sure what to do. Mm -hmm. Then just go through it, punt, to the next rehearsal and then you can do your study. But I think we have to make sure that we understand that we're learning this new instrument. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't do a second year player, start criticizing the pitch in the altissimo register. Like they're beginners, right? We're right. beginners. So, so be kind to yourself on that. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> oh, it was how, how does a young conductor work on looking like themselves versus a conductor that they watch? Yeah. Okay. So again, we come right back to the movement and uh, you have to practice conducting, right? There are technical uh, things that you practicing exercises that you can do that I'm happy to share. I can describe them to you on this, or I can maybe cool. I could send you like some, some exercises that you could then put out. I, I don't, mm -hmm. everybody's welcome to them. Uh, very few are original anyway. Right. So <laughs> they, I'm happy to, happy to share that. So you do have to, you have to work on two tracks. You have to be becoming a better musician yourself. So whatever your principal instrument is, or if you're a singer, however you make music, you need to become extraordinary at that because you, you won't, you can't ask people to do what you've never experienced. It, it won't occur to you. So become a great musician. Um, and the movement that's part of your musicianship because it's going to make you a better singer. If you dance, it's going to make you a better oboe player. If you dance to Beethoven, right? So that all of that is, is one track. And then the other track is that you have to just practice the technique of it the scales, the long tones, the stuff that we don't love to practice, but we know makes us better. Mm -hmm. And that's true in conducting too. Did I answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. My mind now I'm like, I'm thinking of all these exercises and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I'm getting... I to, so you mentioned like the scales and long tones of conducting. And for that, is that just, is that just like little exercises? Like let's conduct, um, four bars of piano and then four bars of mezzo forte. Like, is that kind of the thing that you do or do you have something else like completely different than that? No, things like that, things mm -hmm. like that. So I, um, if there's a woman who taught conducting to so many people out of Ann Arbor, Michigan named Elizabeth Green, you might know her book, The Modern Conductor. It was mm -hmm. a textbook that was used in conducting classes for a long time. Um, she has a lot of exercises in that book that I've stolen. And some of them are just like you move your arms up and you're just sort of in guess, investigating your space and and then out and making sure your timing is up and down the same speed. So those sort of arm, like arm exercises and then things like independence exercises where I'll make a, like I'll do one bar of two, one bar of six, eight, one bar of seven, eight, one bar of three, one bar, of, like it's just a long string. And then you conduct through those and then you, decide which ones are going to be right hand, both left hand, both hands. And then after you get that, you add dynamic differences, then you add uh, articulation differences and you just keep layering on it till it gets so hard. You can't do it. And then, you know, you're really, cause then, you know, you're really learning, right? right. If you can do it, it's too easy and you're not probably not learning. So um, independence exercises, things like that. Um, do you want me to keep going and talking about different exercises or Sure. Uh, okay. Okay. Another thing that I, that I did is when I taught middle school um, and junior high, which was really important for my practicing conducting, but also sensitizing the group to my conducting. Uh, it's a, a thing that I borrowed from Mallory Thompson. She called it psychological conducting. I call it persuasive conducting. It's the same thing um, where you write a four measure rhythm exercise no pitch and you don't do eighth notes 
just whole notes, whole rest, half notes, half rest, quarter notes, quarter rest. That's it. And I'll, I can explain why in a minute. Uh, so you write this four measure rhythm and then I have it in front of me. Um, and I, I would have my students all write these four measure things. I would collect them and I kept them on a stack on the piano. And then once a week, at least I would take one off the stack. I would put it in front of me. Now they can't see it. Only I can see it. So I, I have to make them play that. Right. So it's then I'm, so I'm doing this and I'm doing cutoffs and I'm doing the artic, trying to get articulations. And it's a way to really clean your technique. Cause if you have extra motions, if you have like scoopy loopies on three <laughs> or on the outside beads, or you're doing backbeat and subdividing, you're not going to get it. It's not going to work. And that's to help you clean your technique. I really like that one. Yeah. A lot. Mm. That's, and plus, the kids love it because they're like, oh, this one, I wrote this one. She'll never get this one. She'll be and so, so that's fun. And then I'll just say one other thing and I can say more later, but this, and I, cause I think it's undervalued because it seems so simple, but whatever your less dominant hand is, use it more in your life. For, so I'm right-handed. So if you want your left hand to be more independent, you have to allow it to be independent, mm. right? So brush your teeth with your less dominant hand. Uh, unlock the door with a key with your less your left less dominant hand. Just make it a thing that you do that you try mm. to use your your weaker hand to do everyday things, and it will help get that independent, build that independence. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I really like the psychological conducting. I might, I might try that. Yeah, out me too. <laughs> it's it's funny because your students think they're gonna stump you. You know, it's like you right. give it a challenge, make it really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, and they love it. They're like, oh, she'll never get it. And then, and then you don't, and they, and then they're laughing. I'm like, yeah. you're the one. You could say that was perfect, and no one would really know because they don't see it. <laughs> but, but the spirit of the game, right? And if we're going to go with this, like, hey, I'm practicing too, then just you could just be like, no, that wasn't it. Okay, let me try again. Just And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Give me another shot. You know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, that's great for your, the community and the, and the, your, your culture and your ensemble. Like all of that is good stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why um, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, Everybody steals everything, so mm. we're going to steal that from you now. So yeah, <laughs> thank absolutely. you. Um, I'm curious, what do you think about um, practicing the recordings? I know people are like have their own opinions about this, and I see your eyebrows. Amazing. <laughs> so give it to us. What do you think? Uh, about this. Okay. No. <laughs> no. You, you cannot. You cannot, and I'm going to tell you why. If, okay, if, uh, I get so <laughs> riled up about this one. Okay, so if, when I see someone, I can tell immediately when someone's been conducting yeah. recordings. Mm -hmm. First of all, the better the group, the further behind the beat the sound is going to come. Okay. So in our, my middle school band, it was pretty much right there on the ictus point. My group now, it's a smudge behind. Great professional orchestras are sometimes an entire beat behind because they're watching to see and reacting, right? Because <clears throat> that's what conducting is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be here. I'm going to show you exactly what to do. It's going to be here. I'm going to show you. Then you give me, and I'm. We're going to collaborate, right? Mm -hmm. And if you practice the recordings, you're going to get used to the sound happening right on the ictus beat, and when it on the ictus point, and when it doesn't, you're going to slow down and wait for them, and then they're going to slow down and wait for you, and then you're going to slow down, and now it's a dance where nobody's leading, mm -hmm. and that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, the other thing is, is that you, your job is to influence and make impact on the sound. And if you're not used to that, then your whatever gesture you're doing to the recording works great. And then you're going to take that, <clears throat> excuse me, into a live rehearsal and it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to know what to do because 
Right. We worked with the recording. That's like they worked with the in the practice room. Right. So recording, and I was raised with this philosophy, right? So like, this is what my teachers told me. And so of course that's what I believe. And then, but over time, now that I see it in my students, I'm like, they'll do four bars and I'll say, what recording did you use? <laughs> and they'll answer because they know, don't lie. Cause I already know the jig is yeah. up. <laughs> but now here's the thing, because some people and myself included, sometimes I'm like, I want to just, can I just hear it? Like, can I just hear a run through of this piece once before yeah. I tackle it? And the answer is yes, you can. You, But you can't hear it once. You can hear it five or six times. So you can listen to recordings. I'm not saying that you have to like just do all your work at the piano, although that's better. But if you're going to listen to a recording, please listen to many, many different ones Yeah. so that you don't get lured into someone else's interpretation. Um, but, and please don't move. You, oh, bet. No, you can move to them. You can dance to them all you want all day long dance to dance to the recording but you cannot actually conduct because it's going to give you bad habits that are are really hard to break yeah sorry i got really bossy about that one no it's great no. yeah i think it's but great. i really i really have seen that it's true it really mm -hmm. is you can tell yeah 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 it's very and i think sorry go ahead no. i was just gonna say it it's the the reason it's coming so prominent is because it's just so easy to just say, uh, I'm not really gonna study this. I'm just gonna listen and then boom, I got it. So it, that's the problem. It's just so easy to to lay back and do that type of thing. But I agree. I think when I listen to recordings, I I like listening to several different ones. And then you can even get ideas like, oh, I kind of like how they did that bar, but I don't like how they did this. And you can kind of create your own from, from uh, their interpretations, which I think is sometimes helpful. It's incredibly helpful. And I'm sorry to jump back in, but because I'll forget if I don't say it right away. It, as long as when you're listening to those different recordings, it's like, okay, so this conductor had them breathe. Mm -hmm. after the second bar and this conductor didn't and then it's the good news is is you don't have to pick because they're probably great both great conductors yeah. that's what you would so what you do is on your notepad mm -hmm. or however you take notes while you're studying because you can't answer every question in one study session right. write that question breath after bar two if so why mm -hmm. if not why not it's not just deciding that I'm going to do a breath there or we're going to do a breath there. Why? That's study, not deciding. Yeah. Knowing why you decided. Mm -hmm. That's when you've made a decision, which you can change, which is what I love. If you get into rehearsal and you have them do the breath and you're like, that does not sound good on us. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? But but if your decision was based on this this piece, like for me, this as a band director, this piece is based on a vocal piece. So there and there is no breath here, right? Mm -hmm. There's no punctuation here, or there is. There's a period here that in the original. So we should take a breath, like you know, mm. you understand what I'm yeah. saying. So it, yeah. it, the the answer comes from informed. The answer is informed by mm -hmm. study. Yeah. I think something Dr. Bowen does also, which is I am trying to be more cognizant about, is decentering that decision. So sometimes she'll come in with a question already ahead of time. It's like, should we breathe here or not? And then mm -hmm. she puts it up to the ensemble. It's like, let's try. What do we think? So it's not only yes. you making that decision, but you're helping lead your singers. I mean, you already probably know the answer. It's like, yes. well, you know, the... Um, the punctuation suggests breathing here, but you put it to your ensemble. And so they're a part of that process, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you should totally do that. That's the, that's the teaching part of it, right? right? Yeah, for sure. You should engage, allow them to be involved with as many decisions, but Cole, you're right. You, you'll, you'll kind of have an idea because your, your opinion is the probably I would hope you're the, the best musician in the room at the time. Right. right. So, but you do want to include them and you can lead them, you know, and that kind of stuff, but it's important for them to have that sort of thought process and thinking that way too. Mm -hmm. Right. 
um, something I was going to say about recordings, it's just interesting to think about in my own experience. And I think that the way I listen to recordings now is not the way I listened to them when I first started practicing yeah. fine-tuning my conducting skills. Because back then, I would listen to them all the time and I would conduct them. Sean and I would both do that in our dorm room, right? And it's like, right. this feels great, you know, but it's, it's really because we didn't have access. Yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> I love it though. But we didn't have access to a group. We didn't have access to musicians. Um, totally. So I think the majority of our listeners are either in their undergraduate degree. We have like, I think, three different types. We have the, the people in high school that are looking at pursuing music. We have the people during in their undergraduate degrees. And then we have people in their um, graduate studies. But for the folks that are in their undergraduate degrees, I think my biggest recommendation is like, just get some friends together you know, if you are a choral music ed major and you want to get like, I don't know, four friends, different voice parts together in a room to just sing through some stuff. Like even now, we and my friends and I have these things called sight reading parties where we'll just like come together or sit in a living room and we'll sing through music. Um, but I think that that is a really great opportunity for you to do something like that where you can practice your conducting skills in front of a group. A hundred percent. God, you are a nerd. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come to that party, but I can't, I would not be a good sight singer. <laughs> it's going to be great. It'll be great. Yeah, we can yeah. have a sight reading party for your uh, vo voice rep that you're about to do for that recital, right? We could do a little oh. party for that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Did I just you. remind yeah. you? <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I got to practice so bad for that. Okay. For those of you listening, Dr. Axelson is participating in um, Radford's voice professor's recital. Oh. You are choir director, Dr. Bowen, the music ed professor, Dr. McDonald, and then Dr. Bardini, the voice professor, are all doing a little quartet, three pieces on her recital, which is going to be great. That's really can exciting. I just say, can I just say, <laughs> that I am so afraid of this experience because I thought we would be like doing a Britney mashup or something, right? Like right. it would just be fun and silly and we could just, but like, it's real repertoire. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh gosh. Okay. So now I yes. really have to practice. Ah. Is it going to be live? Probably, no, there will be no live stream. There will be no live stream. No, 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 no. They're doing, um, Sean, do you know Bring Me a Little Water, Sylvia? Have you heard that? Bring Me a yes. Little Water. They're doing that and it has body percussion. And I told um, Dr. Axelson, I'm going to be like the mom from Mean Girls that's out in the audience, like recording, but like doing it with me. <laughs> Jamming. I also told them that I think that they should dress up as the Golden Girls. I think that would be hilarious. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be funny? I, mean, I do love that idea. Yeah. I do yeah, like that should. idea a lot. Because all four of you are blonde. So it's a missed opportunity yeah. if you don't. Right. Like, do it for <laughs> us. Do it for me. <laughs> I will I will do it. Great. Um Sorry, what were but we no, talking about? I, I agree. Back to, <laughs> back to your point of like making your own group. I think that's incredibly valuable. Um, and for my orchestra people out there, you can always do like a string quartet or quintet and then get a pretty good pianist to cover all the wind parts. Um, mm, that's good. You can find arrangements of the, of the orchestral rep for sure uh, that has the piano reductions. And that's always helpful. That's four or five people you can conduct and they will, you know, they'll tell you if you're doing good or not. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you'll and hear you know, it too. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, and I'm just trying to think about like if for folks who are in a situation where they don't, there isn't a string quartet and a pianist, right? To do, they could just do that on the fly. Because mm -hmm. um, I want to, I think for it, instrumentalists can sing the parts too. Mm -hmm. And we did that, um, we do that in conducting classes, which I'll, talk about in a minute, but um, also another exercise you could do is if you are, you know, you're doing, you're studying, you're listening to different recordings, you're singing lines at a time, please take time to do that, to be at a piano and play just one line, but sing a different one. That's yeah. a, it's a great way to internalize a score. Um, but if you get to the, if you can hear the piece, if you can be silent and hear the piece in your head, practice that way, mm -hmm. right? And record yourself. Because remember I said before about not mirrors can be, 
right? Because you're thinking about yourself while you're doing it. Instead, record, just put your iPhone up, push record and do it without thinking about self-aware. Mm. Just do it. Yeah. And then watch the watch the recording. But the singing parts, you know, your other music ed nerds like we were, some still are. Um, <laughs> the, we used to do Mallory Thompson did this at, at Northwestern. Her the second the advanced conducting class always ends with the Stravinsky octet and we sing it. We would all sing it. And it would, I mean, we're singing Stravinsky, right? That's not easy. So yeah. at first it's like, <laughs> but by the end of the, the time that we're working on that, like we're really singing it. Like it's really kind of good. So um, <clears throat> you can tell your friends, like you don't have to be on the right pitches, just sing directionally and tell me if this is clear. Like, was it clear when you come in? I don't care what you sing as long right. as it's, you know, go in the right direction. So don't feel like you have to have people who can sight read the Stravinsky octet. You can, <laughs> right. You know, like just getting through it is going to be valuable to everybody. Yeah. And I think something I'm even practicing with right now, Dr. Bowen is helping me figure out is not thinking about all of music being so vertical all the time. Like there's a lot of choral music and I'm sure they're wind and, and string as well. But some of the music that I'm teaching right now is actually cellular. So there's these little like pockets of information that the composer use, uses throughout the whole piece, but changes it around. And so something I'm having to do is not think about asking everybody to do all four parts or all eight parts at the same exact time, but isolating those cellular structures. So like if there's a melody, for example, that changes in between parts, Maybe as you're practicing, if you can't have eight parts singing at the same time, maybe you have them all sing the melody throughout and you can practice conducting that way. It's just having you to be creative. And um, in like our other episodes, we've talked about creating opportunities for yourself. And I think we gave some ideas in that, but we also talked about like score study approaches. And like before you even conduct a note, I think knowing the score well enough, and Dr. Axelson has said, you know, gave some tips already to learn the score, mm -hmm. uh, but you really have to be comfortable with it. Because um, if you get in front of a group to conduct it, like you're not going to know it well enough and they're going to know you don't know it well enough. And it's like, right. how can you practice conducting if you don't even know the piece? So, um, Right, because you're not even really listening and you're thinking yeah. about your conducting well, and the chatter in your mind is so loud that you can't hear because you're thinking about the next meter change and then you're going to end up accepting whatever they give you. Mm -hmm. Right. They're they're 12. <laughs> like that's not reasonable. You can't do that. That's not fair. And, and from an educational standpoint, what are, we, what are you doing? Like, right. no, my teacher, my teacher used to say the first rehearsal is your performance. Like mm -hmm. performance ready at the first rehearsal, mm -hmm. which makes the first couple of weeks really frustrating and boring for the conductor. Cause you're like, uh, seriously, right. like, cause wrong. No, you never practiced with wrong notes. Right. And now you're hearing them and you're like, Arr. but you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, you, you gotta know what the, you are advocating for this composer. You must know what she or he intended and mm -hmm. already have filtered that through your interpretation and study and the opinions from so many others by listening to different performances and recordings, and then you can begin. Right. I think, I mean, Sean and I have some colleagues. I know that we, I, I mean, I know for sure that some of them don't start planning repertoire until like the week before classes start. And then it's kind of like, you know, they're shuffling in trying to get all this stuff done. And it's like, you are doing a disservice to not only you, but also your students by not internalizing all of this stuff as soon mm -hmm. as possible, you know? Yeah. So for the it teacher friends that are out there listening, yeah, it's like you're setting yourself up for failure in that way. And in turn, setting up your students for failure. So I think- And it sounds super stressful. Like that's <laughs> oh, super yeah. stressful. Like don't do that yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that makes me nervous just even thinking about it, you know? Plus then right. if, you're, if you're still thinking surface level, then you'll only ask for surface level, mm -hmm. you know? Right. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's important for all of our listeners to know that not one way of study like works for everybody like for me it's conduct or conducting for me it's playing the, the score on the piano and also singing lines like you said like that is how i do most of my study and that's what's most helpful for me but for someone who doesn't have piano chops 
like don't try that because you're just gonna waste time and get frustrated like just pull out your primary instrument and play the lines so mm -hmm. it's it's definitely important to find that one thing that that works for you the best yeah agreed right. yeah for sure it's all trial and error you know mm -hmm. and i i think sean's right i think you have to be as a music teacher, actually, honestly, in any profession that anybody chooses, you have to be willing to make mistakes because you learn from those mistakes. Like I've conducted a group even right now preparing for my graduate recital and it hasn't been perfect every single time, you know, but I'm like willing to like laugh it off and just like try something new. And so yeah. I think if people take anything away, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of good tidbits in this conversation that we've had, but Sean's right. Like figure out your own method make mistakes, have fun, dance, do all the weird things, right? Because that's really what we're here for is the, all those creative pockets versus looking good, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Cole, you said something earlier when you were talking about the dancing that I think is really important. And that is, what are you willing to do? Like, are you willing to look like an idiot? Yeah. You need to be. And 100%. you, and you won't look like an idiot. Like you won't, you right. won't, well, you're going to feel like, well, well <laughs> it might feel like it, but you know how, like so many times with a young conductor, um, it, they'll be up there and they think they're being super expressive, but then we watch the video and it's like total monotone kind of conducting. The same thing is true on the other end. Like you feel like you're flailing around and looking like a crazy person, but it, it does it's not really how it reads. Like, yeah. so you got to be willing to take risks. And if you're not willing to take risks, then I, I don't know that you're going to enjoy this thing very much. Right. Yeah. And your students also won't be willing to take risks if they don't see that from you. And that's what we exactly. want them to do. Be weird. That's what yeah. I always say. So, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for joining us for this awesome conversation. Uh, Sean, were you about to say something else? Oh, shoot. We're done. I was, I was just going to say before we went into a, like our last little thing, if Dr. Axelson had any parting advice or any one liner that you would like to say. <laughs> one liners. <laughs> two okay. words. No, you know no. what? Okay. No, I can't do two words because why would I use two words when I could use 200? Right. That's <laughs> right. my jam. Exactly. Okay. But can I do, can I say two different quotes that have been incredibly yes, helpful? Absolutely. Okay. The second one will be from Mallory Thompson in case I forget. So you'll, that'll be my prompt. Okay. So the first one, and this was at a conducting symposium, like when I was an undergrad, I can't remember who said it, but the quote there, they were quoting Sir Lawrence Olivier. If you, he was a great actor way, way long ago, long since passed. And they were talking about, he was at a conducting, uh, an acting like workshop thing. And someone was asking about how practicing and technique and stuff like that, and how he like refined his technique. And he talked about his goal and he said his he said, my goal is to have a technique so perfect that it ceases to exist. Mm. Right. So mm -hmm. that I'm so well practiced and made all of my decisions that no one will ever hear them or see them or feel like that. I'm so purely doing this role. Right. So I thought that was a very compelling thing to say. And then the second one, that Mallory Johnson said to me, oh, if she hears this, please don't be mad. See, because <laughs> okay. like, this, is, this has been such great advice. It, it hit differently when I first heard it, but now I get it. She said, I was talking one day in a lesson about, you know, all the things and, and this happened and this happened, like just life stuff. Blah, 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 blah. Was this undergrad or doctoral? Um, I think it was doctoral. No, it had to have been undergrad because I've had this in my brain. So it had to be undergrad. Okay, okay. Um, and I'm saying all these things and I'm about my life and then the piece and I'm working on pieces. She's asking me these questions and I'm talking, 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 and she stopped me and she said, nobody cares. <laughs> and I was like, what? What do you mean nobody cares? But listen, I know I thought my reaction was like, uh, but how incredibly liberating is it yeah. 
to think of, to use that, that like nobody cares how busy you are, you still have to be prepared. But yeah. at the same time, nobody cares that you messed up that meter, right? That, so it's like quite liberating at the same yeah, time. For sure. So, and then I lived in New Jersey for 14 years where literally nobody cares about <laughs> you at all. And I got quite used to it, but I just, I think it was the spirit in which she intended it, which we've joked about many times over the year, is that, you know, that none of that, all that matters when you're doing the work, let, better say this, let all that matters when you're doing the work, be the work, like aim for that right? Mm -hmm. Really try to be focused on your study. And if that means you can only do 20 minutes at a time, then do 20 minutes at a time. We know that's a better mm -hmm. practicing strategy for every instrument ever. So it's right. true here too. Three hours on Sunday is not going to be as good as 20 minutes every day. So, you know, like just, I don't know, those would be my two <laughs> takeaways. Yeah, no, that's yeah, great. Anyways. Thank you. Mm. So, um, Transitioning into every episode, Dr. Axton, we always end with some conductors to watch. So Sean, why don't you start us off? Who's your who's your pick? Sure. So my conductor for this episode is Maestro John Devlin. And he is the music director of the Wheeling Symphony Orchestra, which I serve as the conducting fellow for, um, and also the conductor for the youth orchestra. So um, John has been an incredible mentor to me. So I think it's really great if, if anyone wants to look him up he, he's on facebook and instagram um, i know i've talked about his team a lot everything conducting which also has an instagram so i would definitely check them out if you have not already can you spell um, that last uh, name real quick yes I'm it's d-e-v-l-i-n definitely perfect thank mm -hmm. you uh, mine is dr linda hassler at capital university um, she's their uh, DCA there. She is amazing, amazing, amazing. Specifically, there's this video that like I think about of her choir a lot, um, and it's "Please Stay" by Jake Renestad. I think they premiered the piece, um, but it's like actually it's about like suicide awareness and all the stuff that goes on in this piece. But her choirs um, sound amazing, and they actually do a lot of movement-based activities in the choral um, rehearsal. And she actually has, I think, a master class video out there talking about things. So I just challenge y'all to look it up. Please stay. It's a gorgeous recording, but anything that you listen to by the Capital University Singers is going to be top-notch for sure. So I'm still writing. <laughs> I'm writing all this down. Yeah, I want to see that masterclass about movement. See if I, there's stuff there that I could borrow from my group too. Oh, yeah. And certainly my conducting students. So my conductor... This was hard because there's a lot of really great it's ones, lots of videos out there. You know what I mean? Um, but, and I'm tempted, of course, Jerry Junkin, Mallory Thompson, H. Robert Reynolds, Michael Vodit, like all of my teachers and all the other people. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, but I, I, if I have to pick one, I would pick Carlos Kleiber. Um, he was an orchestral conductor and mm -hmm. he's passed away now. His last name is K-L-E-I. B-E-R, Carlos Kleiber. And I would particularly search for his recording, his video um, of Beethoven 7 with the Concertgebouw Orchestra mm. in Amsterdam. And those of you young folks, don't be judgy about the quality of the video. It <laughs> happened a long time ago, like when I was Rain. your age. Uh, so, but it's not like super grainy, but it ain't HD. You know what I mean? Right. But, um, <laughs> but, it's, but if you want to see groups playing behind the beat that profession that like we were talking about earlier that experience if you want to see that and you want to see someone who looks like the music all the time you know what i mean and like if you see his technical conducting you'd be like mm, i'm not sure he passed my conducting class <laughs> uh, so you know what i mean so like the technique isn't always right on the money but his music is so loud it doesn't matter like you can just, his eyebrows are telling you more than his arms could. So yeah. like it's, it's really was a hugely inspiring video to me when I first saw it way back when I was a graduate student. Mm. Yeah. Great. I'm excited to look that up and, and watch for sure. Um, yeah. Well, Dr. Axelson, thank you so much for joining us for this um, new season, our first episode of the new season. We were so honored to have you join us and share um, oh all of your insights. 
I'm happy to come. You know, I'm happy to sit and talk about all things music and bands. Just name the time and place. But thanks, Joe. I really this is a great podcast that you. It's so great that you're doing this to reach out to to younger conductors because we we get isolated, right? And we think we're the only ones feeling the things. So this is really great. I'm I'm really honored to be a part of it. So thanks. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, great. Well, everyone, um, until next time, and we hope you all have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.